This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is a CC Radio podcast. It was just the most massive thing I've ever seen. I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought, well, we're the only ones left on this planet. Something's happened. We've missed something here. The fear that went in me when I seen it was just, um, like the feeling, I'd say it was fear, but I've never felt that feeling before in my entire life. It's a weird feeling, like you can't explain it when you don't know. You feel like you're being followed, but you don't know what it is. We had two to our right, another one in front of us, another one to the left, and another one just across the road, shaking the daylight out of the tree. All we get was a big red eye. I remember waking up and looking at the end of the bed and there was a figure there, almost insect-like, and then I blacked out. Welcome to the show, everyone. You are listening to Believe, Paranormal and UFO Radio. My name is Cade Moyer, and thanks for tuning in. If you've had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. If you enjoy this episode, there are a few things you can do to help the show. Firstly, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and review, or you can share the show around social media with your friends and family, and that would help us grow. Tonight, I'm joined by Jane Pooley, and that's probably a name that you are quite familiar with because Jane is a little bit of a uh, person of interest when it comes to the, I guess, the abduction and alien world here in Australia. Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cade. It is incredible to have you on because when I heard your your story, your encounter, it absolutely blew my mind because this is not something that a lot of people would come out and, and really talk about because... I guess the the encounters that happened to you and the little bit that I know, and I know there's a lot more to your story, it is, it's very confronting. It's very full on. And I guess some people would be, I guess, not very open-minded to the situations that you've encountered. Are you able to take us back to when this all first started for you and I guess walk us through the the timeline of, of these experiences? Sure. Uh, firstly, it is hard to come out, and it's probably why I waited until I was middle-aged. Um, of course, I understand people's reactions, but a surprising number of people have come to me and said, me too, so something's going on. So where it started, I actually remember being a toddler in a cot, and I had a grey man standing at the end of my, the bed who I knew, and I used to call him Grandpa, and that later evolved into Grandpa Graham. So that one experience, I had repeated dreams about all my life. So it just didn't leave me. 
even though I was very young. So it's a whole life experience. It's not something new. It just took me a long time to find the courage to say more than, look, I've seen UFOs. And I did it to help other people who were going through the same thing because I couldn't find anybody to talk to. I wasn't game to mention it to my GP. I didn't want a psych referral, quite frankly. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so it started when I was a toddler. That's what I remember. So Grandpa Graham would stand at the end of my bed and I, I thought that he was a man with cow eyes when I was a bit older. So he had these great big beautiful black eyes. So that's my strongest memory and my first memory. So his eyes were like, they do have a pupil and, and an iris and a white bit, but it's so dark that they may as well all be black. You could see all this detail, and you remember this from when you were a child. Yep. Wow. And when when you say greys, the, the stereotypical image that comes to my mind is the one that I see, I guess, just plastered around in pop culture of, you know, the, I guess, the, the, the teardrop head, the, the teardrop eyes that are, that are pitch black. And from what you're saying, this seems to be pretty close to that. Well, I wouldn't use the word teardrop. I would say just huge black eyes that, that are almost around to the side of their face. They're probably, um, they're actually the shape of the in shape of sunglasses at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. And their heads more have bumps on either side of them. They're larger heads compared to their bodies. That's not a teardrop either. But they do have a skinny body and extra long arms and extra long fingers. And because he picked me up as a baby, I remember how he smelt and how he felt. Really? Yeah, because it's just <laughs> such a strong memory. So, I, it, like, his skin was lovely and soft, Um a bit like a mushroom, I guess. It's easier as an adult to find a comparison, but as a child I had no idea. But he was cool, you know, cool to touch as well. And what did he smell like? Um, woody, spicy, clean, but not the same as humans. Okay. That's interesting because I've, I've spoken to people who have had encounters um, with, with, you know, greys and, and things like that, but I've never actually heard anyone say they, they smelt it, which is that's, yep. that's really unique. Yeah, I know. I can't tell you why my memories are so strong, but I have to say that I'm a pretty good student without sounding like I want to blow my own trumpet because I have a really good memory for scenes. I, I seem to have a memory that just remembers details. Yeah, right. Okay. That, and you know why? I guess with your, your encounters and all that, that's fantastic to have. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a good, num- a good memory for numbers or patterns, or signs, but scenes and details and people I'm really good at. So you were you were quite young, you were a toddler, and you were seeing a grey at the end of your bed. This grey was picking you up. Um, how long did this continue through? Um, throughout, throughout my entire life, but it's not every day. You know, months can go by, or years can go by before I'm taken again. But in between, I see a lot of ships around. And also, we have to... Uh, we have to note that I don't remember everything. I'm, I just remember some things that, well, I, I remember what I remember, but there's got to be gaps because I feel that they sedate us to take us up there. And I think the reason I didn't forget this baby one is because they didn't drug me. So you're saying the the experiences that you've had later in life, there's there's less and less, I guess, that you remember about those? 
No, no, I, I, rem- I still remember a lot, and some memories are clearer than others. But the explanation for why people don't remember is they sedate us like we sedate people in an operation. Not a full anaesthetic, but we're sedated. However, um, I don't know. I, I just fight through, I think. I think I must have a strong spirit. Plus, I'm not frightened. I do remember being frightened at one point as a child. That's that's another story. But um, generally, I'm not frightened and I'm pleased to see them. So perhaps I take less sedation. Who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. You might be a little bit more accepting of this type of thing. So maybe they just go, well, you know what? We don't need to give her the the, the X thing that makes them, I guess, a little Calm bit calmer. Down, yeah. yeah. That's right. So I don't tend to fight or kick or scream, I'm, I'm actually really pleased to see them and I know some of them by name. So how often were you getting taken? And do you think there was a reason you're getting taken from such a young age? Well, yes, it's easy as an adult looking back. So just so that you understand where I'm coming from, at one point I had all these snippets of memories that didn't make sense. This is a while ago, you know, a long time ago really. And so for the sake of trying to work it out, I wrote each of those snippets of memories on a different piece of paper. And then, because I want to organise them, I put them in time sequence, and then suddenly they were like pieces of jigsaw that slotted together and it all made sense. So that helped me and that that might help somebody else too. Um, so to, to my understanding, and, and I ask a lot of questions, the same man has picked me up every time and that's the one I call Graham or Grandpa Graham and I've mentioned him quite a few times because he's just beautiful. Um, I li- I love him intimately, but by intimately I mean like a grandfather or like a family member. Member, And the other reason I choose the word intimately is because of the way they communicate. They're a very emotional race and they may not appear to be to some people because they don't have facial expressions or body language, but they project emotion just like they project words. Am I right to understand what you're saying is that they they don't communicate in a in the in a traditional way where they they speak with their mouth or anything like that? That's correct. Their natural language is telepathy, uh, and they, for whatever reason, and I think it's a technological device, they can speak every language. I think they've got it like a translator. So when they speak to you, they put words in your head, and you know they're not your own thoughts. And you can say no, so you don't feel violated. And they're usually in your own language. They've certainly been in my own language, even the colloquialisms I might use. So, but I hear in the background a sort of a click, click, cluck, cluck, um, cicadas, crickets, sort of sound, trilling maybe. I mean, a combination of all of those things. And I think that that's their language, though I couldn't translate that for you. Oh, right. Okay. That's interesting because, you know, that, that definitely shows that there might be some type of, um, I guess, technology being used to, to do that then. I think so. I think the telepathy is natural. That's the, the basic language. But the technology, the translator is, is definitely tech. See, that's the thing. A lot of these things that people think are paranormal or magic or whatever they want to call them are actually just technology. Theirs is just more advanced than ours. So are you saying that you could potentially find a link between the, the extra, extraterrestrials and paranormal encounters here on Earth? Of course. Of course. A lot of people might, because they've got technology to become invisible, cloaking, 
people tend to confuse them with ghosts or spirits um, because they're, what's the word, phlegmatic, so they don't show emotion. A lot of people might suggest that, or not a lot of people, some people might suggest that they are autistic or robots or clones. I've heard all of those theories. They're not. They're people, and I really cannot emphasise this enough. They're as much people as we are. They're no different to me and you than maybe an Asian woman and a Negro man are to an Anglo-Saxon. You know, and we're all human. We're all exactly the same on the inside. So they look a little bit different, but they're still human-like. And they have families, culture, love, language, all sorts of things. You know, that's really interesting insight because, I mean, from from a, a third-party look at something like this, it's quite easy to go, you know, maybe they're just these these clones, these types of robot types of things, because I hear so many theories and, you know, at, 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 I guess at this stage, I guess I have to kind of figure that, you know, every theory could potentially be 100% correct because um, there's there's no way for me to validate those in any other way. But when there's someone like you who comes on the show who's had these first-hand encounters with these types of things, it, it really does humanize them, doesn't it? Yeah, well, they are. They love. And they've got a body and a soul and they've got the same God as us. You know, we all call him diff- something different, but... Honestly, they, they are. I, I have trouble calling them a different species, which they may be biologically. I think they're a different race. So that's just the way I see them. And it's hard not to. When you get to know them, you love them. And to say that they're clones or they all look the same is ridiculous because they're all different heights. They've got different faces. That's like saying all Asians look the same. Of course, they bloody <laughs> don't. <laughs> or all cats look the same. They don't either. Yeah, no, that, that's an absolutely fair point. It's, um, I guess I was a little bit alien racist there. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as far as I'm concerned, they're welcome here. They're just, they really are. And as far, and I'm saying they've got a different culture, but they haven't got that much of a different culture. You know, they, they may speak differently and express their emotions differently. But like I said, they've still got families and love and they eat and they walk and they... You know, their environment is different to ours. They, it's much darker, much cooler, and very quiet. First thing you notice is how quiet it is. There's no clutter or people talking. And I guess if all their communication is done telepathically, I mean, it would, it would be absolutely quiet everywhere. Incredibly quiet, and especially in space. It's like we always have, you know, it can be, quiet here on earth but there's always some sort of buzz in the background going on there you notice how quiet it is it's just amazing am i safe to presume that you've been taken aboard these crafts or or things like that yes i'm sorry i've jumped ahead i have so how often it's happened the next time i remember i was eight so whether it happened in the middle i don't know but there does seem to be a pattern when i speak to other people about when they take us so when i was Eight, I woke up in the – I knew they were coming first. I was just terrified going to bed. And this is the only time I was frightened. And I woke up in midair above above my bed and just below the ceiling in my body before you ask, not just physically. My body was levitating. And I screamed for my mother and a, no sound came out and I couldn't move. And then I heard a, ma- a male voice saying, she's not supposed to wake up. And then I was asleep again. 
So that's the only time I was afraid. But I think if a child wakes up mid-air, they're going to be frightened, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Today, even now, as a fully grown adult, I think I would be um, crapping my pants. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I've become used to it. They can take me. I now don't mind the feeling. I, I've never really particularly liked heights, and I think that's why. But I'm okay with it. Now I understand the whys. So they could take me fully conscious right now, and it just isn't an issue. It's just normal for you now. Yeah, it's normal for me. So a lot of times over my life, but as I said, there can be gaps of years or months, or they can take me a few times at once. And what is the point of it all? They're doing breathing experiments, and they they choose. They don't choose us because we're anything special. They choose because we've got something on our DNA that they want, and. Um, the history of it I do understand now, and again, the benefit of hindsight, is that after Roswell, Eisenhower agreed to taking a certain number of us for breeding experiments in exchange for technology. Now, my biological father was actually in the army in Iceland just after, just at that time. Really? Yeah. So, you know, all of this it's taken me quite a while to piece together um, that I fit the pattern. And now I think I could write a list of questions and if you tick the boxes, you're an abductee. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the, the Jane Pooley's uh, checklist for abductees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but anyway, so it is. there is a pattern and other abductees are experienced. They may describe things differently. They may remember more, they remember less, but – they are doing it at the same ages and similar things are happening. Well, the same things are happening to them. Yeah, right. That's um, So there's definitely, a, 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 this is not the right word, but a formula to how this works then. Yes. And in, in my observation only, I'm not an expert, I'm just a witness, um, they pretty much organise it the same way as we might organise an experiment on Earth, only it's on a much larger scale with different tech. So they've got groups and for want of, a way of explaining it, we'll say they've got groups of perhaps 20 and they'll they'll take those children and they'll vary a few years between them. Um, each time they do a check, they'll take all of those children and they might, they might be all in one country or they might well, – they usually don't live too far apart. And, you know, just – and I'll have to backtrack, but back to being a baby, I remember lying on a table. So Grandpa Graham would take me up in – a light tunnel or a light in an elevator through a hole in the bottom of a ship through the ceiling and lay me on a table. And when you're a, a baby, you just accept. I mean, if your father picked you up or you picked up your daughter, put her in the car and took her somewhere, she's not going to object. She's yeah, going to yeah, of course. Home. Yeah. So it was just like that. It was like, okay, Grandpa Graham has come to get me. That's fine. I'll just go where he tells me. But I just remember things like the table was cold, um, like – they took blood. That all they did with me then, it was certainly no abuse, was take blood out of my um, arm, out of the in, inside of my elbow, like you would here on Earth. But they didn't use a needle. They just put something over me, and I felt a sort of a drawing or a sucking. And they seemed to take a sample of blood. Well, that's how I understand it as an adult. And then he put me back. So they didn't really do anything harmful, and they were terribly kind and gentle. Um, so, yeah, so they, they organise experimental groups of children and they follow them through life. And even though I've said it's breeding experiments, 
obviously I'm past breeding. I, I don't have any age hang-ups. I've just turned 59. Um, but they're still taking me. That makes me wonder if there is multiple levels to their their experiments then because – because like it's it's obvious you know as a very young child there's there's no use for i guess the the experimental breeding um no. during the those middle years of your life absolutely but when you're when you're in the in the period of life that you are in now perhaps they're looking for other things well i think they want to yes i, I think well, I, I know because I keep asking, asking so many questions. I drive them mad with questions. But they're happy to answer, interestingly, um, that, you know, they, they're manipulating our DNA, if you like, or they're gene splicing our DNA. Okay. And are they doing that in you as a living person or are they yes. taking – Oh, okay. So they must have done that with my father and they must have done that with me in utero. My mother will freak when I've said that. <laughs> And they must have done that with me as a baby because I've watched them do the same thing to at least one of my children here on Earth. It's not just you that they're interested in. It's also other members of your family. Yes. So they go down a line, basically. You know, The first group, obviously aliens have been around a lot longer than that, but the first experimental group in this particular experiment was um, in the late 40s. And so that would have been my father. And then me and then my children and then my grandchildren and to my knowledge that's as many generations as this particular experiment has right so there's obviously something in your genetic code that they find interesting well when i asked why me that's what they said well first of all you've already inherited that we've inserted that dna in your father you've inherited it from him we've inserted more in you and on and on it goes and i think that they insert little bits of their DNA at different stages of our lives. So we become, to simplify it, more and more that race. Obviously, I'm human, but there's, each generation has become more hybridised. And that word humalian, I just made it up, right? And I know that it's out there and other people have used it now, but I made it up first. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark. Because I thought hybrid, hybrid sounded like a car and I just wanted something a little more sensitive. No, it's uh, I actually I really do like that word because, like you said, when when you say hybrid, it's um it sounds a little bit too too oh, coarse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, and I must I must give one, my granddaughter credit, my oldest granddaughter. She sort of helped me make up the word too. <laughs> so, how does your your family respond to to these things? Because oh my I mean, God, they if think it's... I'm crackers. My friends believe it. My family doesn't. Right. Um, Even though these experiences could potentially be happening to them right now. Well, one of my children, but well, one one evening, the whole family was out out the back, and we saw five red lit ships going very slowly, very close, very clear. All of us saw them. We all went to bed that night, and the next morning, and I, I don't want to mention my children on Earth's names, just to protect them a bit. Yeah, but no, of course, of course. Yeah, my eldest son came down for breakfast and said, Mum, Mum, the aliens came and took me last night and there are children there and it was really fun and can I bring them home for dinner? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, all right then. I just thought he'd had a dream and I thought, well, hang on a minute, we did see ships last night. Um, and then, then I, just to humour him, I said, sure, what, why do you want me to cook for them? And he said, oh, do aliens like spag bowl? <laughs> <laughs> so it was all like that. And, and you know, kids say things, as I'm sure you know, being a parent, or you will know when she's older, and 
you just play the game, but it stuck in my mind as real. Yeah. It was just something about it. So, but he now as an adult just dismisses it and can't cope with it. And, and when I brought it up to him, he said, um, oh, but the newspaper said they were Chinese lanterns. And I said, yeah, I know they did, but you know what you saw. Yeah, yeah. Down, deep down, there would be a, a layer of truth that he knows what's going on there. I do believe so. So, yeah, um, I, do, I do have two granddaughters and it, it's certainly happening to one of them and may, may well happen to the other. I can't know yet. How do you um, feel about that? Is that something that you're comfortable with? Well, no, no. I'm, I love that one of my granddaughters totally believes me because she's seen things too. And she said, my book is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I did write it so that above 12, I'd say, um, could cope with it. It's not a frightening book. It's yep, yep. fairly simply written because I didn't want to frighten people. Um, so, you know, that's nice. One of my family members believes me, but all of my friends believe me. So, you know, it's it's not easy and any hesitation to hear my voice is embarrassment and I know that I'll be called crackers by my family if they hear this and, well, bad luck because we have to do what's right at the end of the day and I believe I'm standing up for the truth and there is a is a cause behind all this and the world is changing and other people are going through it and someone has to step forward no matter how, to, how hard it is. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Also, are you wanting more content? Why not become a Believe Plus member? You'll get access to exclusive podcasts and episodes that aren't available to the public. Not only that, you'll also get our regular feed without any ads. Head to believepod.com forward slash plus to sign up today for just $5 a month. With all this going on, have they ever told you what they've done with the, I guess, the hybrid breeding program that you've been a part of? Because yeah. in some interviews that I've seen with you, you, you have these... Um, uh, Humalian children. I do. I have three, and I have one granddaughter, and the eldest daughter is is married. They probably don't call it married there, but you know, partnered with um, another Humalian man, um, and they've all got names. And I've met them, and I've hugged them, and they're as physical as you and I. And also, at the time, I was very aware that I was pregnant, and um, it didn't always make sense on Earth, but it did. It was scientifically provable in that I had positive pregnancy blood tests, which is important because urine tests can be wrong. I'd have ultrasounds, and I'd have to have DNCs. You know, the sort of the clean out operation at the end. And doctors were always baffled that on one ultrasound there'd be a fetus, and on the next there wouldn't be, and yet there'd still be all the other elements of pregnancy. So it's quite, that's the part I find very hard to deal with. Even though I'm quite cheerful and I love the rest of it, they took my babies and I'm angry about that. Yeah. They, they took them from my body. And 
people thought, well, you have to get over that. Well, I'll never get over that. No, that's incredibly invasive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I don't believe I consented to that. I didn't know that's what was coming. So, uh, yeah. It's it's an emotional thing, so absolutely it would be, and yeah. not not only the I guess the traumatic experience of going through all that, you will have the the real life uh, repercussions of I guess people will be asking, and and especially health professionals, there would be a lot of questions that I believe would get asked about what happened to that. I've had very confused doctors, honestly, very confused. I've also met plenty of doctors that believe all this and already know what's going on so there's two you know there's those that have their eyes closed or their mind closed and there's those that are open for example you know that i i am a nurse i don't i don't work practically but i still study and in emergency departments i've seen some pretty interesting stuff so what i'm just talking about with myself i did see once on another woman but she got all the way to eight months pregnant i only got to to four or five months pregnant and she had a baby on ultrasound with doctor's proof, doctor's consults. And then she came into the emergency department, which wouldn't normally happen. They'd normally go to the delivery ward, but this was a weekend at night, whatever. I got her anyway. And I did an, an ultrasound on her and couldn't find a fetus. But things that's not my specialty emergency is, I went and got somebody else to look because you doubt yourself. Sure enough, no baby. Now, that woman had had a baby and she knew it was taken and she came to the hospital and nobody believed her and she was admitted to the psych ward, which distressed me no end and I'll still never forget. Now, that's called a phantom pregnancy. We've got a name for it. It's not uncommon, uh, but there's another explanation for the possibility of a phantom pregnancy. Do you think that happens more often than than I I guess people would expect? I do. So, and, and then again, um, just on, on that vein of thought, when I was a student nurse at a major Sydney hospital, um, we all gave blood, donated blood, and my blood results were weird. And I got called up um, by the boss, I suppose. I, I just don't want to give any names, but, you know, some famous doctors were involved. And they said to me, you have the blood results of an astronaut. And we know, obviously, you're not an astronaut. We believe you're an alien abductee. That was said to my face. You're kidding. No. And I'll tell you, I'll name dead people. Victor Chang was one of them. Victor Chang, the heart transplant doctor, was one. He took me under his wing and he it was him who pointed me out. That would have floored me. It did. And I didn't understand then. But again, in hindsight, now I do. So what happened then was they really did take me under their wing and I really did see an awful lot of stuff that other people don't. Wow. And that's why because they thought I could answer their questions. Well, I couldn't then, but I can now. That's incredible. So they took me, the, the um, boss nurse, a boss of the School of Nursing, took me and four or five of my fellow students, I guess so it didn't look like it was just me, to an unmarked door that was locked in the basement. And they took us in and there was one of those really old-fashioned medical specimen libraries in jars of formaldehyde, you know, like yeah, thin, yeah. And this is not that long ago. These were really old specimens. And I walked straight up to one that was a grey alien baby, fully formed. You're and just went, kidding. Oh. No. And first thing I did and said, oh, yeah, what's that? And I just, I recognised it. 
And she said, that's exactly what we thought you'd do. Come on, girls. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I saw, I saw one on earth. I mean, of course I've seen them in ships, but I saw one on earth and there were other witnesses and some people may listen to this interview and remember that. That's incredible. I don't know what to say because, you know, that, that really leads a lot of credence to the fact that there is obviously a lot of knowledge about this stuff going on especially in just the, I guess, the, the general medical world. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, nurses and doctors that work in emergencies so, see so much weird stuff that most of them would believe this. Um, I wouldn't tell your average GP or you're going to get referred to a psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs> but they may or may not believe. I mean, there is a lot of evidence. It's like the government lies to us, let me tell you, the medical world does too. I, I, I don't know what to say. That absolutely floors me. The fact that, you know, you, you've had an experience that you couldn't explain and then uh, you've given blood and one of your, your mentor doctors has said you've, your blood basically says you've been in outer space. That, yep. that, that would have floored me absolutely to, to no degree of explanation. Yes. Now, I should add something personal just for anybody listening because, you know, there are people who will be able to understand what I'm saying and not even know more than me. Um, I do have lupus, so I have a weird blood result anyway, but we didn't know that then. And my blood results don't look like that now, and I would have been going into space a lot more then because that was during my fertile years. You, you've got these Humalian children. They're, they've got their own lives. They've got their own families. They do. Um, what do they look like? Yeah, well, actually, um, I've got one daughter and two sons and a granddaughter and, and, and as I said, her husband. Um, so she looks quite a lot like me in the face, but she's little and small, like small boobs. Um, I can't say it any other way. I, I have big boobs. So she doesn't <laughs> genetically look like my, my body. I mean, yeah, it's just the way it is. Um, and, <laughs> and she's skinny and little like the greys are. But she still looks a lot like me. That's incredible. So you can genuinely see aspects of both, I would call these uh, species or races, intertwining. I can. And it's no different. Looking at my children, it's as if, like, had I married an Asian man and my children were half Asian, I would see that in them, right? So I'm seeing the greys in them. What I'm I'm hearing here, and, and this may be part of why they're doing these experiments, is that our DNA is is really lining up quite well with theirs to produce fully functioning, fully, I guess, responsive people. Absolutely. Now, because I've questioned Graham so much, he says guiltily, sadly, that they did lose a lot at the beginning of the experiment, but they've worked it out a lot too. There are consequences. There's no question there's health consequences. Uh, every abduct, abduct, abductee I've ever met, I guess I don't like the word abductee, but it's still, that is what's going on, um, has autoimmune disease of some description. And that makes a lot of sense to me because you're injecting a foreign DNA in there and our bodies are producing antibodies to the foreign DNA and that's what we do. So then instead, somebody with an autoimmune disease produces antibodies to their own DNA, to the human DNA. So there are consequences, but they're ironing them out. And it does seem that as it goes down the generations, it's improving. Have they alluded to why they're doing these these this this crossbreeding? Well, they haven't alluded. I've 
questioned them intently. <laughs> intensely. It's like, honestly, I must drive them mad. Um, apparently, this particular race, and there are a lot of races out there, a lot of inhabited planets, so many, it's ridiculous, and we, we're just ignorant to think otherwise. Um, but this particular race, their planet died off for whatever reason, might have been naturally occurring, might have been a war, I don't know, but it's not there anymore. And so they had to build an artificial planet, which was this massive mothership that I've mentioned that I've been on. Um, and they needed to find a planet to inhabit. And now this is what we're doing with Mars, isn't it? Trying to find somewhere else to live in case our planet dies off. It's it's eerily similar, isn't it? That's right. So they actually said to me, it's just like you're doing, only we're further ahead. So, But then because they have, in my observation, they're colder, their eyes are bigger, their environment's different. So they struggle with the sunlight because their planet was darker. They struggle with, uh, they breed slower and more shallowly than, shallowly than we do and they use less oxygen, which is actually why they're grey in colour. Um, and so it's like, you know, the theory of evolution is that we were all black once and then we lived in maybe ice, ice country, snowy, frosty, cold countries and we developed white skin. Well, it's, it's just like that. They're basically just trying to evolve enough to live here. They can come here, but only for a few hours or they get sick too. Are you saying that they're they're trying to get their race to a point where they can live on Earth or live in yeah. more our solar system? No, this is Earth. And I think that there are other experiments, or I believe that there are, with diff- with other planets doing exactly the same thing. So they're just trying to find, one, a new home, two, adapt to be able to live there. And it's no – again, I'll give earthly examples. It's no different to the English um, – invading, if you want, or discovering Australia and mixing with the Aboriginals. No different at all. Well, just on that note there, is there anything that is stopping them from uh, invading us? Is is there a treaty with with us Earthlings or or something like that? They don't want to invade us. They're a peaceful people. They just want to live here and they want to share the planet. And if anything, they want to help us not destroy our planet because they've already put generations of experimenting into it. <laughs> they've invested too much into us. <laughs> That's right. Um, but no, they've. I mean, there's good. There's going to be good and bad, and I have obviously been fortunate enough to meet the good ones. But basically, they're a gentle, peaceful race. So um, that's it. But the other big thing that was the answer to me asking these questions was that they say all their knowledge is stored on their DNA and they know how to access it. So they want, if their race dies off, they want their DNA in us so that their knowledge is still living. It probably does on our DNA too, but we haven't worked out how to access it. Right, so all their history is hidden in their genetic code essentially. Yeah, and to support that theory, I don't believe in reincarnation. I think it's more likely... um, I think things happen that need explaining, but I think it's more likely our ancestors' memories stamped on our DNA, and that makes sense when the when Grandpa Graham tells me that everything about them and all of their ancestors is in their DNA. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it, if if that's the way that they explain that type of history, it really does lead a lot of credence to that type of mindset. They're very good at explaining. Now, obviously, they're way, way ahead of me in intellect and education. Um, I don't think they're heaps smarter than humans, but I think they're a bit smarter. 
but they I always walk away understanding. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do is if, you know, you're explaining something that you're quite educated on and putting it into a layman's terms. Um, it's incredible that, you know, if they are that more advanced than us, that they're able to, and I don't mean to sound terrible when I say this, but to, to dumb it down to our standards, I think that's fantastic. That's, that's a really right. good way of communicating. Yeah. Well, they usually give me an analogy. They say, well, it's like this on earth. So with the DNA, it's like a library. Just before we, we wrap up there tonight, Jane, I, I do want to ask you a, a couple of questions because I these questions are burning on my mind. And it's kind of um, your, your Humalian children, how do they feel about what they are? Because I would imagine that they would be a very, very small population in, and I guess, what the, the alien community would be. And... Are they, are they hidden from the rest of the alien community? Because is this something that's not public knowledge or is it something where they're kind of embraced? No, there are lots and lots and lots of humalian children and young adults on this mothership living in this community. So, no, they're fully accepted. I also find that the greys aren't racist like humans. <laughs> it just doesn't. They're just not. It's not there. So they don't understand it. And they're right too. Humans are all equal. Absolutely. Um, how they feel about it, well, my eldest, my daughter, Claire, it doesn't matter if I say her name because she's not on earth to be tracked down and harmed, um, she wanted to see me. For me, it was meet me, but she seemed to remember having met me before when she was first pregnant. And that's because suddenly she understood what it was like to be, to have this child in, inside her and not want to part with the child. Um, however, they're, they're all different ages, so... Um, my second son was angry, angry, angry. Who are you? You've never been here in my life. You're not my mother. Blah, blah, blah. Just like a surly teenager on earth, frankly. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't blame him and it broke my heart. The littlest one took um, his big sister's example. And when she came up and hugged me, he ran up and hugged me too. So they were all different responses. Um, my granddaughter, Amelia, just... Uh, Claire brought her up and she was just completely utterly accepting because she was a baby, obviously. Um, so, yeah, the, the full gamut of emotions. And I felt like the old person with Alzheimer's who didn't remember who they were, even though I should have. Um, however, I did recognise them. I, I think I've met them a lot of times over my life, but this particular memory I'm talking about now was just a very clear one. And hugging them. You recognise your own child immediately. You just do. And they were you know, so physically real and, and the emotions were so raw and real from all directions and the greys project their emotions so well I understood exactly what was going on around me um, that there's no way anyone can tell me that wasn't real. You can't make up mother love. You can't make up physical touch. You, you, know, you can't make up an angry teenager even though it's logical. Um, so no, they're just, they're part of the community there. Claire's now married another Humalian man, as I said earlier. Uh, oh, when you weren't recording, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, they're happy there. Their life is good. It's just grief, grief talking. I'm, I'm satisfied with the way they've done things, but clearly I'd rather have brought up my own children. 
Yeah. And that would be really tough because, I mean, if I was separated from my daughter, it would be absolutely heartbreaking. And yeah, it exactly. would be really, really difficult for for you, I could imagine, because not only were you taken away from them, but you have these very limited memories of them as well. So every time you – I could imagine every yeah. time you met them, there would be something that you felt was just missing from that. Oh, it's, it's, it's dreadful. And all of my life and still – and again, you know, I'm sure that I can put a positive spin on all of this. Um, I have repeated nightmares of my children being stolen from me, running around looking for them, calling Triple O, calling the police, no one being able to help me, and my children were stolen from me. And it's just, it's a nightmare that never, never leaves me. So I know, I know where it comes from. I know exactly what's going on. And understanding is certainly the key to coping. But... Um, Perhaps that's where I am in the in my evolution of this this thing. I'm comfortable with everything else. I have some understanding of what's going on. I like the race. I recognise the people, but I'm never ever going to let go of grief for my children. Yeah, and that's that's something that will be with you forever because that's something that you so. can, you just can never get that back. No, you can't, and it's cruel. It's just cruel. And I've said that to Graham. He's he's just very sheepish and. He said, look, we know that now, but at the beginning of the experiment, we had no idea what um, a human would feel about it. And, you know, it's I know that it's different for a woman and, and the child's actually inside you, but as you rightly said, as a father, you still love and bond to that child, and if she was suddenly taken away from you, you'd be mortal. You'd be just heartbroken. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I, my heart really does go out for you because I could only imagine the, I guess, the the – the, the pain that you went through in those in those moments. Yeah. But it is comforting to know that not only they're okay, but they're happy and they're away from all of this that's going on on earth at the moment. Um, and that they've got they've got families, they've got people that love them. And Grandpa Graham, I do believe, is my DNA donor. So he's biologically actually my grandfather, even though he wasn't with my grandmother. Um scientifically he's he's still my grandfather so he's looking after his own family and they're loved and they're cared for but you know <laughs> it's no, i think you can hear in my voice that's not something you can make up no no not at all not at all and um look jen i do i really do want to thank you for coming on the show it has been so uh so emotional so i guess mind opening because it's it's so easy to put down, you know, alien abductions and, and things like that to such sci-fi kind of levels that it it's quite easy to to forget the emotional connections and, and things that can that can happen during these types of um events. Yeah, and I hope that my sharing such personal information will help other people because it's hard to share that. But I really do want others that are suffering and unable to find the courage to speak out to find some comfort in that, that they're not alone and that their feelings are justifiable and understandable and that they're not going crazy. And that's going to do it for tonight. And remember, if you have had an encounter, get in touch with me. My email address is believe at ccradio.com.au or you can message me on Facebook and that's facebook.com forward slash believe UFO radio. Until next time, stay safe, and you've been listening to Believe Australian Paranormal and UFO Radio.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 